Well, hello. It's been a little while. That's my fault. Since we've had the space or time to be doing the Space Fifth Book Space yeah, podcast. It, it has been a little while, but it feels like you are uh, just hitting the ground running. <laughs> we're just going for it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going. Uh, I'm your host, Somerset Winters Thoreau. I'm here with Dan Thoreau. As well as. And I'm Brock's. Brock Polson over here feeling cozy in Idaho. Yeah. It's very cold. It is cold now. The weather has changed. Well, today we're going to be talking about a book called Uprooted. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. And it's by Naomi Novik, and it won the Nebula Award. For what year? We don't know. It just won. I think 2015, yeah. Oh, so it was a while ago. Yeah. Okay. Yes, a lot of the reviews that I read were quite old. So first we're going to rate it. We each get a thumb up or thumb down, and you have to use a descriptive word. Yes. Uh, I always forget about this part and that I haven't thought of a word yet. Oh, I, I have my word. Uh, so I can nice. go first. I, okay. I gave this book an arboreal thumbs up. <laughs> hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of trees. Oh yeah. It's tree heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trees in a right, fantasy yeah. book. Who could have predicted? Yeah, weird. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to give it a deft thumb down. That's actually a reference to a line from the book about a deft thumb. Uh, About thumbs, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Summer's face. Wow. (laughs) Summer's face (laughs) fell in anguish (laughs) as she realized. Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to give it a thumbs down because you're just that kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a wild thumbs up. Oh, nice. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, next we've got some uh, wrong spoilers brought to you by our friend Brock. We do. Uh, okay. Some wrong spoilers. Um, oh, I forgot to, I forgot to do a funny thing about how I, you know, rooted through the trash or uprooted through Naomi Novik's trash or anything like that. So I guess I'll just say that I made these up and because I wanted to write some silly things. So, uh, the first wrong spoiler, uh, is finally a book with a message that really resonates in our day that nature must be defeated at all costs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Modern take. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, You'll be interested to know most of the recipes in this book are based on the keto diet uh, (laughs) and most of the magic spells. Because ketosis gives you magic powers, but it's still not worth giving up bread. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Uh, 
this book has <laughs> the has the most misleading title since Too Like the Lightning, because that book was just right in terms of being like the lightning. Uh, um, next the walkers coming from the forest are a chilling metaphor for those times when they find e coli in romaine lettuce Uh, i i actually read read that wrong i i read that wrong spoiler today and i was like that doesn't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> it's, been, it's been too long since I read this book. <laughs> but it's content, and I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it. Uh, now, this next wrong spoiler makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, finally, a cranky old wizard who's also a generous lover. <laughs> They're usually quite selfish. <laughs> yes, in my I, experience. Have, I have found that as well. Yes, yes. Right. And no, those are my wrong spoilers. Thank you. Those are, I liked those. Uh, Especially the E. coli one. <laughs> right. I just like that one. Because of how much sense it made. <laughs> All right, Dan. We are now on to the synopsis. Are you going to synopsize this book, or are you just going to make things up? I don't know why you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> My synopsis is always accurate. <laughs> what I recall from the book. For sure. <laughs> to, to, to Dan's recollection. It's mistake. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, completely accurate. I, I give this synopsis not because I think you two don't remember the book, but because I think I don't, and you sure. will correct me. <laughs> yeah. You don't, but you don't like it when we correct you as you go. You're like, stop, no, quiet. Well, okay, you can correct me after. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Okay. So this is the uprooted synopsis. Are you ready? Yeah, but yeah, that's what we're waiting for. Is oh. it? Uh, are you going to do a? Is it the upropsis? It's the upropsis. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. After I said upropsis, I knew I was like, "Ah, oh, what an idiot! That's uh, terrible." That you? What are you thinking? <laughs> In a fantasy kingdom, there lives a girl named Aggie. She spends her days roaming the forests, avoiding evil monsters, and chilling with her pal Cassia. Aggie and Cassia live under a shadow of expectation. For once a decade, the wizard overseer of their valley, called the Dragon, abducts a 17-year-old girl to live in his tower. And these two are among the cohort whose birth year falls within that 10-year window. Aggie is unlikely to be picked by the Dragon, as she is ugly and prone to accident. (laughs) She's always covered in tree sap, Her skirts are torn by thorns, her cakes unleavened, her seamstress rejagged, and her courtly etiquette marred by an unseemingly haughtiness. Everybody agrees that it is Cassia who will be selected by the dragon. Yet Aggie still finds this state of affairs, to put it mildly, rather problematic. Dragon apologists like to point out that there is no explicit evidence that the dragon has ever engaged in conjugal relations with his abducted girls, for no offspring have yet been produced. 
And in those days, the age of consent is a murky and ill-defined concept. And indeed, the dragon communes with higher powers that may have insisted he abduct underage girls, perhaps at the edge of a flaming scimitar. I see where we're going here. Aggie feels that extraordinary claims require extraordinary extraordinary evidence but what can you do it is what it is judgment belongs to god alone and via one thought terminating cliche after another nobody questions this horrific state of affairs (laughs) (laughs) okay apropos of nothing (laughs) sure fantasy world this is a fantasy kingdom (laughs) there's a girl named aggie On the day of choosing, Aggie arrives in her usual state. Her face is scratched. Uh, a booger hangs from her left nostril. <laughs> and, she drags the hem of, and she's dragged the hem of her dress through the town latrine. <laughs> I don't remember these details. By contrast, Cassia looks like a princess. Her hair is braided with flowers. Her dress is flowing and spotless, and she carries a small placard informing the dragon that she's been properly instructed to <laughs> lean back and enjoy it. <laughs> she hovers three centimeters off the ground so as not to be sullied. Indeed. <laughs> to everybody's surprise, the dragon pops out of a portal, smears at Aggie's unkempt appearance, and belches, Hair! <laughs> Before she can speak, he absconds with her into the portal. Oh my. The dragon's tower is quite nice, all told. Aggie's room is a bloom, broom closet on the top floor with a creepy map on the wall illustrated with spoilers about the valley and the nearby haunted woods. <laughs> her chores consist of cooking, sitting, waiting, and biding her time. <laughs> the description of the tower contains no privy. <laughs> That's not actually something Naomi Novik wrote. It's just I noticed it. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I don't. Well, I don't know that a lot of fantasy novels include any descriptions of the privy. There was. I feel like there was a lot of privy talk in uh, the Stars are Legion. That was. Oh yeah. I mean, that essentially took place that's in a very, a privy. That's a very visceral book. Well, the whole thing. Heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole thing was like, what if this story took place in a privy that right. you fell into? It was the privy verse, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cam and Hurley's privy verse. <laughs> I liked that book. I gave it a privy thumbs up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Yeah, I think we all did like that one. Anyway, the dragon is very remote. Mm-hmm. Aggie goes days without seeing him. She uncovers a note from her predecessor. Hello, my successor. Take heart. The dragon will not molest you. He prefers to cast an illusion that will make it seem like you're having a grand adventure together, all the better for you to seduce him. <laughs> I don't remember that in the Ha <laughs> JK, LOL. Have fun. I'm out. Smell you later. <laughs> Nobody liked that girl. <laughs> the more I learn about the predecessor, the more I don't care for her. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> After a few months of drudgery and weeping, Aggie is so bored that she decides to enter the dragon's library and find a book to read. 
She inspects the rows of books. Which one? She settles on one with a face formed from the wrinkles of its human skin binding. (laughs) (laughs) When she she goes upstairs and begins to read it, only to get dizzy and immediately forget the words. The dragon bursts in. He's all, what have you been dueling, fool? (laughs) What have you been doing, fool wench? (laughs) Practicing magic? I'll show you magic. He utters a word, and her latrine-soaked rags are transformed into a big, floofy dress. (laughs) Another hundred pages pass. (laughs) (laughs) A procession appears outside the tower. It's the prince of the kingdom, but the bad one, not the good one. Mm, He barges in and insists that the dragon help him with something, but I can't remember what. (laughs) That night he barges into Abby's broom, Aggie's broom closet. He's all, aha, so this is where the wizard keeps his latest plaything. Come here, girl. Ah, yes, mm-hmm, snuggle more. That only heightens my... <laughs> his face is crammed full of bustle, for Aggie has cast the dress embiggening spell. <laughs> <laughs> the prince stumbles back, terrified, and cracks his head on the edge of her desk. Aggie pries the grate from her stove and beats him over the head. (laughs) (laughs) For an hour. (laughs) The dragon bursts in. He's all, insufferable female. What have you done? If you hadn't dolled yourself up in such finery, he wouldn't have been tempted by you. (laughs) Oof. This is a sexist that's, universe. I don't that's remember troubling. That yeah. <laughs> he casts a spell on the prince so he won't remember what happened and also won't wonder why his head is so dented. <laughs> <laughs> From then on, the dragon deigns to teach Aggie magic for another hundred pages. <laughs> magic consists of speaking words in variously conjugated Polish while having talent. Except it's more ambiguous. (laughs) The dragon's method is stuffy and rigid. Aggie's is organic and fluid. She seems to be making some progress when the dragon is called away on business. A monster has appeared in a neighboring duchy. For a few days, Aggie hangs around the tower using magic to do her chores and wondering why the dragon keeps girls around at all. (laughs) Someone appears at the tower. The messenger is shocked when Aggie answers, but shares his missive all the same. Apologies, young miss. I've come to put some pep in the plot. (laughs) (laughs) It seems a young girl has gone missing and gasp. Oh, sorry, that was in italics. I wasn't supposed to read it out loud. Gasp! I mean, ah! Ah! (laughs) It's your childhood best friend, Cassia. Do you remember her? The girl everyone loved. (laughs) <laughs> and assume the dragon would claim and deflower that girl, the great beauty, the girl who is everything you are not. She has been taken. Disappointed. Oh, sorry, wasn't supposed to be that aloud either. Disappointed. Who knew the haunted wood would strike at this very instant when the dragon is not here to save us? I turn to Naomi Novik, who's been keeping me te- trapped in a tower until I finish reading her book. <laughs> I'm all, the woods are haunted. He's all, what did you think of Aggie? Isn't she great? Do you think she's pretty? Uh, 
going, oh, I'm really digging this wagon ride you're describing. (laughs) (laughs) After the 10-page description of the wagon ride is over, Aggie finally arrives at the edge of the haunted wood. She walks into its depths, finds a spooky tree that's clearly holding holding a human person in its embrace, and utters the spell that embiggens her dress. (laughs) 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 Her froofery and frills terrify the tree into releasing Cassie. Oh my god. Aggie carries her out of the wood where the dragon waits. He's all, I'm sorry, pitiful and insouciant girl, but your friend has been corrupted by the wood. She is already lost. Aggie's all, No, we have to take her with us. If you don't, I'll never let you trick me into seducing you. (laughs) The dragon's all, Disappointed. (laughs) I mean, fine. (laughs) He teleports them to the tower and locks Cassia in its secret underground crypt. They spend the next few months trying to decorrupt Cassia. At first she pretends to be normal, but it's all a ruse to get within reach of Aggie. She attacks, only to be thrown back by the dragon's magics. You see, you intolerable woman? The wood has its hooks in her. There is nothing we can do. Aggie's all, wait, I've had a last minute idea. Her idea is to sing a duet spell. They uh, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh boy. They undertake the spell and it works, dragging the evil presence from beneath Cassia's skin, but leaving the wood behind so she's oaken and superpowered. That's kind of a cool trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll take it. Rendered deeply horny by their duet. (laughs) Aggie and the dragon go upstairs, where I'm treated to an extensive description of his, and I quote, deft thumb. (laughs) (laughs) We were all treated to it, not just you. Good. I'm glad I didn't make that up. Beside me, Naomi Novik slugs my shoulder rather hard, I think. She's all, what did you think of this scene? What imagery did the phrase deft thumb evoke for you? <laughs> Would you describe your thumb as deaf? <laughs> I pretend like I'm reading the next page. <laughs> <laughs> I skim the next 300 pages. <laughs> Bad Prince returns to the tower to demand that the dragon accompany him and the falcon, another stuffy magician, into the wood to rescue his mother, who abandoned her husband, his father, the king, a very long time ago, which is a tidbit of backstory I somehow missed. They go into the wood with a bunch of knights, but they're picked apart by giant praying mantises, kind of like Arnold's elite squad from Predator. <laughs> <laughs> The last few knights find another spooky tree, this one pregnant with the outline of a queen. (laughs) (laughs) She was crowning. You said pregnant. Aggie and the dragon cast a spell that causes the tree to release the queen. 
in fright at the sight of her big dress. Then stagger out of the forest, <laughs> cleanse the corruption out of the queen, and then Aggie and Cassia are sent to the capital city of the kingdom for some courtly intrigue, which mostly consists of the haunted wood checkmating them five times in a row by placing the queen on the throne, resulting in the murder of the king, the one, the only not stuffy wizard in the realm, the good prince, the good prince's wife, and almost their two heirs. Aggie and Cassia escape with the royal children back to the tower. You're Ooh. welcome. <laughs> that I put that in one paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> the dragon greets them upon their return. He's all, at last we can pick up where we left off. You were saying something about the deafness <laughs> of my pollux? Oh, <laughs> 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 Aggie's all, not now. Bad Prince, the Falcon, and a huge army are chasing us to capture and murder Good Prince's heirling children. The dragons are disappointed. <laughs> Fortunately, an army has also assembled to aid us. Aggie's all, where did that come from? He's all, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, you outrageous juvenile. <laughs> <laughs> they settle in for a siege. In the service of Bad Prince, the Falcon casts Magic Missile. The Dragon casts Wall of Stone. The Falcon casts Piercing Shot. The Dragon casts Twist Fate. The Falcon casts Agonizing Frenzy. The Dragon casts Stalwart Defense. <laughs> but no... <laughs> but no amount of magic can defeat the superior force, and the dragon, Aggie, Cassia, and the heirs are forced to retreat into the crypt. The queen appears in all her terrible glory. She's the avatar of the wood itself, I guess. <laughs> Bad prince is all, mother, no, disappointed. <laughs> the queen explodes his head. Nice. I, I think that's what happened. I yeah, something wow. Like that, yeah. Aggie and the dragon sing a duet, which causes the queen to disappear. <laughs> they survey the wreckage. Although the queen has been destroyed, it's only a matter of time before the wood reconstitutes her. They settle in for the night. The final act is clearly upon them. Aggie hesitates, then remembers... Right before the third act is exactly when the heroine and unlikable male love interests are supposed to consummate. She creeps into the dragon's room. He's <laughs> all, now, Aggie, please, now. <laughs> she tricks him into committing statutory rape. Oh, She's 17 years old. Anyway. <laughs> Beside me, Naomi Novik is all, did you like that scene? Wasn't it great? Isn't Aggie pretty and strong? I, when she looks the other way, I continue to saw up my shackles with the utensil I swiped from yesterday's meal. <laughs> Aggie and the dragon enter the wood. There they meet the queen, who it turns out was once the queen of the wood folk. She married a human king and was briefly happy, but his subjects were bigots. After the king died, they sealed her in a tomb and burned her forest and her family. 
Her, her hatred shackled her to the wood and lashed out in revenge against any and all humans in the valley across many centuries. Naomi Novik touches my thigh. <laughs> I flinch, but she gives a comforting smile. She's all, you see, it's not really about falling in love with a 17-year-old. It's about the persistence of intergenerational trauma and how breaking that cycle is always hurtful to everyone involved. It takes love and forgiveness and an awareness of the interconnectedness of all things. I'm all, but the queen isn't even one generation removed from her trauma. She's still alive, so it can't be intergenerational by definition. <laughs> she hasn't like passed it on to anybody else. Naomi Novik's fingernails dig into my leg. Her <laughs> mouth forms a hard, brittle line. <laughs> Goodness. I'm all, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the message. That's what I'm getting out of this book. <laughs> Her smile, she smiles once more and loosens her grip. She pats my leg. I'll make us some supper. Stay here, my dragon. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, no. As soon as she's gone, I etch viciously at my shackles. It's been days. The metal is fatigued. At last, the manacle snaps. I stand at the precipice of the door. I could leave. But the book is right there. I want to know how the story ends. Surely <laughs> I have a few moments. Aggie and the dragon defeat the queen with the power of forgiveness. Aww. The dragon departs the valley, leaving Aggie. She spends the remainder of the year healing the forest. At the spring festival, he appears once more. She's all, you came for me. I knew you would come for me. He's all, yes, you excruciating harpy. <laughs> but now you are an excruciating 18-year-old harpy. <laughs> From the doorway, Naomi Novik sees that I've escaped my bonds. She's all disappointed. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Goodness. Wow. You know, when you wow. size the like that, I can see why you gave it a thumbs down. Yeah, sure. You didn't really synopsize it. <laughs> uh, I defy you to find one thing that I synopsized that did not happen in fact. <laughs> All right. So now we're on to bad takes. That's my part. So I found this review, one out of five stars. I mean, this book won a Nebula Award. You know what? It's got to be good at something, right? Counterpoint, six weeks. <clears throat> Did that win a Nebula? No, it won the Hugo. Oh, no, it was nominated. Okay. Well, nomination and winning isn't the same. Yeah. That's true. Anyway, I found this review the funniest because this person was like, I really tried to get into this book. Right from the start, I was annoyed because I was like, is it supposed to be like medieval? And she spelled it M-I-D-E-V-I-L. <laughs> Which made me laugh because I was like, okay, did you mean medieval? Mid however you say the word. Medieval. Medieval. Or did you mean like middle evil? Right, yeah. I kept like going on for a little bit and I was like, well, it's still not really I'm not really sure. She's like, um, 
it talks about how young women went to universities, dot, dot, dot. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. That's not very mid evilish. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's mid good for women to yeah. go to universities. I think we can all agree on that, that that's mid good. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so then she talks about how, um, also kind of like what Dan talked about. No. That, uh, yeah, that the wizard (laughs) is kind of a super jerk. She used a different word. She said dick. Yes, she did say dick. And, And then this goes on and on until they fall in love, which I disagree that's not what happens. So first of all, my first point is um, that he's just some grumpy old dude who thought he had a dumb kid to teach magic to. And he's just as confused as Agnieszka about her magic. And he does his best with his thorough understanding of modern magic to teach her how to use her unknown wild magic. Mm. Also, it's being told from the perspective of a village girl, not a world educated person, but a person with a lot of common sense and down to earth intelligence and instincts, which is the opposite of the very educated, grumpy old wizard. So that's my take on that. So that's why they don't really get along because they're like total opposites. And the first romantic scene, which I don't wouldn't even call it a romantic scene. It isn't about them falling in love. I agree. It catches you off guard because it does come out of nowhere. But I interpreted that as the side effect of their magics, like commingling, and it wasn't an on-purpose thing for either character. Anyway, so that's what I'm saying. That's hmm. my take. That's my take on that bad take. So now we can move on to discussion. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, He's making a face. Dan is yeah. making a face. Ooh, such a face. <laughs> I can't even what see is that face? Brock's face disappeared. It did disappear, so we can't tell what Brock looks like. Oh yeah, I'm I'm shrouded in mystery right now. Yeah. Um, All right. So I I want uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Polishness of this story. I am. Uh, because I um I think that that's something that Dan has uh, thoughts on. Uh, it came up a couple times in in the synopsis. Um, uh, it's uh, mentioned a little bit in uh, on the Wikipedia page uh, that some of this is uh, inspired by the author's Polish heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, there are dishes that are uh, sort of based on Polish. Um, foods. Uh, there are a few words uh, that she sort of borrowed from Polish. Um, the uh, the neighboring kingdom, uh, Rosja, I believe is, uh, is the name of the, the neighboring fantasy kingdom, but it, it shares a pronunciation with the Polish uh, mm-hmm. word for Russia. Um, and uh, I, I, I wonder how much of um, how much, how much of that influences sort of surface level? Uh, and maybe if there was anything uh, more culturally Polish that, uh, that, sh- that shined through uh, to Dan, our resident Polish expert. <laughs> Are you? Well, as, as some people know, 
I uh, I am actually from Poland. Oh, what? That's not true. No. <laughs> I don't know why I am a Polish expert. Here's the sum total of my experience with Poland. Okay. The winter. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, and this, and this is actually where I knew you had some sort of Polish knowledge uh, is because you really like The Witcher. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of fun because it is a little bit like, so especially The Witcher books are more Polish than the video game. Mm-hmm. And even even the, the video game trilogy gets less Polish as it goes on because it becomes more universal. But um, yeah, I mean, that my, my favorite parts of it were kind of where it felt Polish. Which part where it felt witchery. Yeah, no, where, where like, I like the idea of um, its culture felt very real to me. I liked its world building. Mm-hmm. And I like this idea of, <clears throat> you know, um, of like expansive and frightening Central European woodland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that like this, you know, even Western Europe at some points was like that. But this idea that Central Europe didn't develop in quite the same way um, because it was a crossroads. And so it was often a place that was traveled through um, rather than being a destination in its own right. And, and just the, the constant toll of invasion kind of kept it from developing quite as, as comfortably as some of its neighbors. And so where you get kind of, where, where you look at France and you have like storybook kingdoms and you look at Germany and you have these, uh, you know, labyrinthine imperial structures, then you get to Poland and this, this relationship with this frightening wood uh, yeah. being right next door is much more, is much more present. And I, so I loved that aspect of it. I really liked the wood. Um, like as an antagonist, this, I did too. this naturalistic <laughs> force. I thought that was super cool. And it is very witchery, right? I mean, that's, that's also the plot in a lot of the witcher is this idea that, oh, the woods are full of dangerous and terrible things. Um, so yeah, I, I found yeah. it all quite charming. So, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I think that's not like a, an aspect unique to, to Poland or to, to central Europe. Um, but it, it does feel very, uh, uh, like a very interesting texture to the story, um, of this sort of malignant, uh, wood that, uh, you know, you have to warn, uh, people to stay out of. And, um, I, I do like that, that aspect as a, uh, um, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a magical foe, you know, it's not a, a rival wizard necessarily. It's, um, it, it feels like a, a more dangerous threat because it's, uh, because it's so vast, uh, and, and has so many threats. Um, so yeah, I, um, I like that. See, I, I knew, you, like how I knew you'd be able to, to bring out Pulse some Polish out. stuff. <laughs> yeah. I had faith in you. Wow. <laughs> I also like how um, the it's such a good antagonist because it's such a it's a natural antagonist. Like it's a fungus under the surface that's corrupting everything. So it's like 
you know, they don't realize how far it's gone, but it's in the main kingdom, like already when, when they get there, when they get back to the kingdom, it's already there. It's been like festering under the surface. It's like this black mold that's behind all the walls, which is very natural. It just kind of connects, you know, how, how far reaching that the antagonist has come. Is it, is it a metaphor? For what? Yeah, nature is bad, right? That we need to <laughs> we need to defeat it, and we're doing well, a great I job. I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, because the reason the nature became corrupted was because it got it it got abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. So there was. That's what it is. Yeah, there was an alliance, right? Um, but then that alliance was uh, uh, was yeah abused, was, you know, was taken for granted, was um, ultimately misunderstood. yeah yeah misunderstood and ultimately you know rejected and and uh, and destroyed, um, and that led to much uh, revenge. Yeah. Much worse consequences, right? <laughs> yeah, including revenge. You know, I I don't know if this is something that uh, Novik was trying to uh, write into there. I didn't have time to ask because I was fleeing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like, you know, I, I was kind of getting this uh, climate crisis feeling from some of it, to be honest. Hmm. Um, you know, like a, a third of the natural world has been destroyed within our parents' lifetimes. It's been it's been used up. That was kind of the attitude for so long, not just a, obviously within our parents' generation. Um, but this idea that as a connected whole, there you can't really go anywhere. You know, some of the characters bring that up at one point where, well, why don't we just run away? Um, but at first they do a little bit. They go to the kingdom. They go to the capital. But, well, that's corrupted, too. And they talk about, well, maybe we'll run away to this port town. Well, no, it'll eventually catch up to us anyway. There's no way we can escape it. And it did make me think a little bit about this notion of a climate crisis, that, you know, there's this short-sighted using of nature where we're, okay, well, let's cut down forests for easier agriculture, and let's burn as many fossil fuels as we can to get ahead, and surely this will impact other people. And it will. But eventually, uh, it, one of the things that happens in the story that makes makes the revenge of this wood so poignant is there's no fleeing from it. Mm-hmm. it. It will catch you eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no secure place because everything is within the domain of the wild, even places that don't feel like it. Right. Um, so I, like, I liked it in the sense that maybe, and I don't know if this was deliberate, um, but I kind of got the sense that it was saying that there, there really is no running from nature. There's no separating uh, civilization from nature. And maybe that's even an unhealthy way to think about it, that we're also in nature. Right. That what the dragon was doing by taking these girls and raising them in the tower so that they would lose their connection to the wood and then releasing them. You know, we, we eventually find out he's being a little more benevolent by doing that. Mm-hmm. That actually that's pretty wrongheaded. That that uh, that there's no such thing as truly severing your connection to the wood. You can only delay it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that point is also made at the end of the book when she 
when Agnieszka basically goes back and is healing the wood and getting rid of the corruption and she kind of gets more wild again, you know? Yeah. And then he comes back too. And she's like, yep, I knew he'd come back, but not because I don't necessarily think because of that, but because he's also connected to it. He has a pretty big connection to the wood. He's been living there that whole time. And anyway, well, his connection was muted, right? Like that's why he was keeping himself in the tower. Mm-hmm. He was a, he wouldn't go to the festivals. He would just show up and be like, "Give me taxes and a girl," because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to have on board any more corruption. But I think I think the story in part is showing that he has been doing, he has been going about containing this threat in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's been he's been building a levee against the rising water and not addressing why the water is rising in the first place. Right, mm-hmm. and. And that was kind of um, something I had in my notes is, you know, he's the dragon is Elon Musk trying to get to Mars rather than working on fixing anything, you know, in his uh, neighborhood. Yeah. You know, on this planet. Um, And, uh, you know, with uh, these sort of complicated solutions um one, th- one thing I, th- I thought was interesting and wanted to kind of dig into is uh when he talks about like the he has these like magic potions right that uh that he says you know they take a, a huge fortune and several years to make one of these like fire breath potions mm-hmm. um and you know, and I and I think that kind of lines up, Dan, with what you were saying. He's he's going about it the wrong way. You know, he thinks this is this is safety when there there are many better ways he could be spending that time or that fortune. And um, yeah. Well, but I mean, I, he's not the only one. I mean, they've been plagued by this forest, and no one really knows why mm-hmm. because they don't remember this happening yeah you know it's not it's not mentioned anywhere else only the wood remembers this happening so i mean this these peoples on both sides of the of the you know rosia and and this place that's all they remember is the wood being antagonistic to them and so it it is intergenerational for them and they just keep perpetuating it because they don't understand it at all yeah, Dan. Naomi was right. <laughs> you know, there's a book that I want both of you to read that's an absolutely wonderful book. And I might have I might have picked it for my choice, except you said that I cannot pick a book I've already read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do that but it's, all the time. <laughs> I know. It, like every no. book. <laughs> every book Brock recommends he's already read. Um, but this book is called A Half-Built Garden. Have okay. you heard of a half-built garden? And it's by uh, Ruthanna Emrys. Um, and it's absolutely wonderful because it is about a culture that has created an alternate government to handle climate. And it 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 that's not the whole plot. That's just sort of the backdrop. Sounds kind of boring. It's not boring. <laughs> it is not boring. It is excellent. <laughs> Well, but, I mean, when you say that's like, <laughs> you've created 
an alternate government. <laughs> Our climate. And that's, yeah, I hooked. <laughs> okay, there's also alien first contact. Oh, okay. All right. But it's, it's very, very good. Well, it, it kind of goes, it, it explores sort of the same idea that that the older mindset is is a lot like the mindset of the dragon or the kingdom or Rossia, where, okay, well, this thing is attacking us. We're just victims of it. And to get ahead, we just have to use it. We have to use magic. We have to make these painstaking potions. Um, but that mindset is not handling the problem uh, because no one's going in and trying to interface with with the crisis, with the actual issue. Mm-hmm. No one's trying to make a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The dragon has never gone into the wood to figure out, like, why is it doing this? He's just to, like, wow, it's scary. Yeah. Well, I guess we have to stop it. To parlay um, with the wood. Yeah. Well, and also part of it is that, you know, when they go in, they get, you know, they get fungused. Sure. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Yeah. I do. It's uncomfortable to get fungused, <laughs> to get defungied. Sure. Yeah. But but if you get fungus and then defungused, you turn in to a superhero. <laughs> That's true. It's high risk, oh. high reward. <laughs> It's basically like being bitten by a radioactive spider. No, I'm just, I'm talking about when the main character goes in and she saves Kasia and then she comes out and she has to be defungused. Well, I know, but if she had gone in and gotten put in a tree and then she just got to be treed first. She engaged in a half measure. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that was the problem is her lack of conviction. Wow. She, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, she, could she you conceivably, would it be conceivable to like farm the wood for superheroes by like <laughs> letting yeah. them put you in a heart tree and then just waiting like one day and then going and saving that person? And then you cleanse them and now you have another superhero. Oh, so you could man. make like 10 of these superheroes. And then Rossia, they can't do anything to you because you go and. Have your superheroes just punch them all? Yeah, I don't got... think that's the point of the story. Oh, sounds really immoral. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because even volunteers, you'd have to wonder if they were coerced or, you know, if they <laughs> what what's the uh, what are the, the ethics of the putting people in trees and. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, you have to offer to pay for their college when they're done. Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. You mean, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, um, Summer, you said something uh, during during the bad take, um, kind of about the way that uh, that Aggie and the dragon. Uh, let's call him Draggy. That's their celebrity couple name uh, cool. <laughs> kind of how their relationship uh, grew. Um, and I don't remember the term you used, but as they were sort of learning this magic uh, side by side um, and, and uh, kind of how the relationship grew out of that, I wanted to see if you, if you could go into that in a little more depth. Okay. Well, I think everyone agrees 
that she's 17 and he's some old dude. Right, right sure. He's like 190, that's, right? That, that's the facts of the but story. I mean, but he's keeping it tight. He's still hot, so. Yeah, I mean, he is, which is, He you does know, squats. That's attractive yeah, sure, right. to the ladies, <laughs> right. older man. <laughs> yeah, he's a silver fox. Silver dragon. Oh. Anyway. So I said that that scene came about because that's the first time that they were both using their magic at the same time. Dan described it as singing a duet. Mm -hmm. They were both doing magic at the same time and complimenting each other. And so their magics commingled. And since their magic is like a part, like a really intense part of who they are, that commingling like... Made them want to commingle. Made them want to commingle. <laughs> <laughs> Drew them together. Yeah. Yeah. So they came together okay. magically, yeah. and then it was like an overwhelming, let's get this on. And he was like, whoa, no, stop just a minute. And she was like, yeah, I want to get it on because she's like 17 and really horny. <laughs> sure. So that's how um, I interpreted that scene. Okay. Okay. That it was just like the magic was like magic. <laughs> yeah. When it's magic. Someone really likes those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted me to say? No, about I that? think no, I I think that's a that makes more sense. Yeah. I was less comfortable. Yes, he was. Sure. Okay. I'm more How about of a you, critic. Brock? What did you think of that scene? I mean I I think Brock, there was Brock sent me an apology. For picking such an erotic book. Really? <laughs> Wait, did I? I don't, yeah, you did. <laughs> I don't think it was like a, like a like super sincere or anything. Sure, I just yeah. think it was kind of an all kind of like, wow, I didn't know I'd picked such an erotic book. <laughs> yeah. My bad. You know. No, yeah, I do. I do remember that. Uh, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yes. Now I remember. I think uh, one. I think the first scene. Uh, I think I was driving to work and listening to it <laughs> and was like, what a start to my day. Uh, it was, uh, it was pretty strange. Um, no, I, to, to me, it, it seemed, um, it, it, it almost, it kind of felt out of place to me. Um, like it, it, uh, because the rest of the book had been um, ha had had some elements of pretty straightforward fantasy, and um, and then this was like uh, you know because there 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 are sex scenes, there are romance scenes in plenty of fantasy books, but this one was uh, was definitely a step closer to like erotica and like. And I was like, "Oh, this <laughs> this is not what I thought I was picking." Uh, <laughs> it it uh, I, I think it surprised me more than it was like something I appreciated or or disliked. Uh, it more was just like, "Oh, all right, well that that was in this book," and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, no fade to black going on here. <laughs> we're, we're in yeah. the thick of it. Like that 18th century, <laughs> like, and the curtains 
fell. And then, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's they, ooh. Yeah. And they tumbled onto Death the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it caught me off guard mostly because I thought it was a young adult book. Right. And then I was like, oh, it's not. It's it's a more mature young adult book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For, for or, the discerning young adult. You know, not the it's fine because sometimes classifications can become so rigid so that's not what i'm uh so it's fine it just surprised me yeah <laughs> yeah surprised me as well um for for a while talking about metaphors i was trying to uh i was trying to think about the dragon's potions as some kind of like nuclear proliferation metaphor but i like everyone has them so they can't attack each other yeah so, and and so they uh and they can't you know they can't afford not to have them uh you know they're deterring each other this sort of military industrial complex thing um but i'm not sure how well it fits honestly um i don't think it fits I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think though, I think the aspect of like, it costs him a fortune to make these things, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a drain on the economy. I think that portion does fit. Um, okay. But no, I don't, I don't think it's a uh, um, necessarily uh, valid metaphor. Um, I did use, uh, you'll be very happy to know, I, I used the scene where uh, some like livestock get corrupted. Um, I did use that as inspiration for a, a game of D and D. So, I mean, it was, you know, this was a useful book. Uh, that's why I gave it the thumb up. You know, it's just. I, I left that out of my synopsis because it scared me. <laughs> it was spooky. <laughs> Uh, well, I think, uh, I think that's about what I had for discussion topics. Um, anything you'd like to revisit? Anything we want to, I mean, we, we, uh, I mean, we really got to the meat of this book, you know, with the, <laughs> I think we, I think we did it justice. Good. Yeah. Good. 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 I'm glad. It only took me yeah. like six months. Yeah. <laughs> That's how long it took us to I do this one. It, uh, oh, it took it a little all while. Sure. It was my fault. I got distracted reading other things. Yeah. It does happen. That's good, though. Reading, reading is good. It's true. Like reading that book that you just recommended to us earlier. Yeah, that was a really good book. Yeah. Yeah, I approve of reading. <laughs> Speaking of reading. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dan, we believe it's your turn to choose the next novel that we may or may not review in the next month to six months. Well, I hope we read it sooner. Um, this is a, I've read half of it. And I'm absolutely loving it. 
Um, I would like us to read Babel by R. F. Kuang. I believe it has a, uh, does it have a subtitle? Babel? Yes, let me. On the necessity yeah. of violence. Is that what it is? It's, uh, it's kind of a long title. Babel or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators' Revolution. Ooh, <laughs> sweet. A.K.A. Babel. Babel. I'm intrigued. Very good. Me too. I'm loving it. So. All right. I However, it's not, it has not yet been nominated nor won any awards. Ah, but I am prescient. Which is, which is the first book that has not been in that qualification. That's not true. Brock made us read that weird cabin book. Oh, yeah. That's, that's going to be a movie. <laughs> They're making that into a movie. Is it? Yeah. We sh- well, I'll go see it together. That's we'll have a, yeah, we'll have a watch it. party. Oh my. We can shout advice to the characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number one, don't go to that cabin. Yeah. Get out of that cabin. <laughs> just get out. I yeah, I think that story's just a metaphor. How we were like making fun of it so much, but I think it's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a metaphor. <laughs> I think you might be right. All right, All right anywho. <laughs> <laughs> We'll end on that note. Yeah. We realized something was a metaphor. (laughs) Until next time. Oh, yes. Until then. Space Biff. Book space. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for joining us in the Space Biff book space. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. Join us next month for another discussion. And in the meantime, you can email us at spacebiffbookspace at gmail.com.